Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode nine of Daffy's Reptiles. Now, so far, we've covered some of the more common species. We've talked about leopard geckos. We've talked about ball pythons. And we've talked about some of the less common species like Glechianus and chameleons. Uh, but I wanted to really dig deeper, find like rare species that I've personally never heard of. Maybe a lot of you guys haven't heard of. And I didn't really know where to go. So I started looking online. And I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I haven't even uh, really heard of my guest until recently. I found him on the Gecko Radio Nation uh, podcast. And I I've probably heard that episode maybe five or six times so far. If you haven't heard it, go check it out. I'll put it in the uh the show notes as well it's it's a really good episode but today i'm gonna ask you a whole bunch of different questions uh so you have something different to hear and um this is gonna be a definitely definitely gonna be a very interesting episode uh so without wasting any more time uh everybody please welcome my guest for today wally kern of supreme geckos hello hello hey buddy how are you doing i'm doing good how are you good Do I thank you so okay? much for coming on you sound great yeah, yeah perfect. everything's perfect yes thank you so much for coming on sure. it's um, my pleasure entirely thanks for having me of course yeah I'm, I'm very excited for this episode i like i was going through your instagram and most of what you post i haven't even heard of so um, i'm excited to learn a lot today well some of the names i just make up so that's probably what <laughs> um you know so you know, we're probably going to talk about some of these scientific names. I get asked all the time. I, I get lots and lots and lots of messages on Facebook and YouTube and all over the place, Instagram. And people will say, hey, I have a skunk gecko. What should I? And my problem is I came from the fish world. So I'm very in tune with the Latin, you know, genus and species name. Nice. And, and I grew up with that years and years and years ago. And it's just maintained itself because... I made the mistake once of sending out a skunk gecko that was the wrong species, and that stuck with me too. So, you know, while I know all the Latin names and everything, I try to use the common names because sometimes I'll listen to a podcast or a YouTube video, tarantulas, dart frogs, and some of these Latin names will, will start flying out, and it's just like, oh my gosh, I can't keep up with all these names. So I'll try not to get real technical with some of the names, but we'll probably cover more genus names and, and areas than real species names. So, okay. Awesome. And that's, and that's very true because, you know, sometimes the common names, there could be multiple common names for one species or uh, multiple species could have the same common name. And I'm um, coming from the, well, wrong side, fish world as well. So I, I, I'm really comfortable. Yeah. So I, I, I agree with you. Um, it, it could be a little complicated, but, uh, at least you're getting the right animal when, when you're talking that way. So maybe we'll bounce back and forth. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds awesome. good. Okay, so let's get right into it. Um, how did you get into keeping reptiles? And what was your first couple of species? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> well, I'm going to go back 100 years ago. I'm pretty much that old. Uh, I, uh, my family, I, I grew up in a really, really bad part of Wisconsin. Um, and, my, and I got into a lot of trouble. And my family moved me out to move the family out to the county and onto a lake. And it was just such a different environment, but it, it completely changed my life. I think that I was eight or nine years old at the time. And I started fishing and catching bluegills and largemouth bass and all kinds of fish from this local lake. And I started keeping some of the fish to understand their behavior a little bit. Um, a 10 gallon tank. Uh, a couple of bluegills and a bass in there and just watch them and how they reacted. 
So I really got in tune with nature that way. From there, I started keeping tropical fish. Awesome. And in my 20s and early 30s, I think I had about 125 tanks from, you know, 125 gallons down to little killifish and feta tanks of five. You're speaking my language. <laughs> oh, oh I, I, that's my, you know, if, if anything, that's my passion. I'm still really, really into the, the fish. Oh, yeah, they're beautiful. And killifish actually is most of what I keep. So you, you hit it right on the nail. Yeah. So can we just talk killifish then? For the yeah, we, we could. You want to do a whole other? <laughs> we'll come back to that. We'll come back, yeah. So I kept tropical fish, and this is back before the internet and before there were any way ways to really communicate on a mass um, method. So it was all newsletters and going to shows and auctions and sitting next to somebody and talking fish. So during that time, you know, I learned a lot. I, I started shipping out all over the world and started raising some pretty rare fish. But my, our family grew and grew and, and we had three young boys and the third one was a little bit ill and spent a little bit of time in the hospital. And I spent a lot of time and I had discus. I had four pairs of discus going at the, the time breeding. And because of the hospital visits and everything, I would literally come home, throw food in the tanks and leave. Mm -hmm. um, came home one day and I had three pair laying on the bottom of the fish tanks. And at that point I said, you know, I have three things going, you know, my career, I, I was into computers and project management at the time. Uh, my family, of course, and fish. And I knew I wasn't, and I, I could only do two. So I knew that you can't give up the other two. Give up the family. So I had to make that decision. Do I really want to take this fish thing as a business? And I loved what I was doing for a career. So that weekend, I decided the next weekend I wanted everything out of the house. We we sold everything, all the fish, all the tanks, all the equipment, big blower in one weekend. We had people coming up from miles and miles to get you know all these fish. So I cleared out everything. Um, one weekend and then had nothing. I tried orchids. I tried some other hot baseball cards. Nothing really took it. I had to breed something. Right. It's so, the breeding that's addicting. It's the breeding that's addicting. It's it's going in and seeing, you know, babies. a mouth rooter with, with a mouthful of baby mm -hmm. or eggs. Um, so that's that was the hook for me. Um, okay. So got, got out of fish for probably... 10 years or so, kept one fish tank that I knew that that wasn't the way to go. Got into reptiles. So I started keeping a pair of leopard geckos. And if you know leopard geckos, on the way home from the reptile show, they're already breeding in the deli cups. They're just, <laughs> they, they breed so easy. Okay. So that started that addiction. And I, I kept one pair of leopard geckos. And by the end of that year, I had dozens of pairs of leopard geckos, and I started keeping crested geckos, one of the most popular pets around, one of the most popular reptiles. Yes. Just loved it. I love the colors of the leopard geckos. I love the patterning and the morphs and everything, all the traits, I should say, of the crested geckos as well. So I was hooked. I was hooked pretty bad. Absolutely. And, and not to say that actually... My story is very similar and crested geckos are what got me hooked and and yeah they're still i'm still working with crested geckos as well they're they're beautiful species i love them i love them um and that was about 20 years ago okay and i remember the story so well you know i was getting into crested geckos and i met up with a lady in madison which was about 50 miles from us and she wanted to sell some of her collection went and picked up i think it was four different groups um 
So four males and probably eight to 12 females. Wow. And we made the transition really nice lady and everything. And this is like 18 years ago. And she, I, I remember her saying this to me, the crusted gecko thing is done. You know, it's saturated. Everybody's breeding crusted geckos. The market's going to fall out. And I was like, I just want to keep animals. I want to watch them and yeah. see kind of patterns and traits I can develop. For the fun I, of it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I want to have some fun with this. I really wasn't into yeah. the business. So 18 years ago, the prediction that the crusted gecko market was done was far, far from the truth. Yeah. Uh, it really taken off lately. Mm -hmm. So I started making some money with the crustas and leopards and started, you know, reinvesting into the, the business and the hobby. But, you know, probably like yourself, you know, my interests change by, well, what time is it? Um, my interest <laughs> yeah. like that, you know, I'll see something on the internet or I'll go to a friend's house and see something and it's like, oh, I, I've I got it. it. Um, so I started keeping micro geckos and I started keeping some of the African geckos and one thing led to another. My wife used to do daycare down in, in the basement. So she had half the room and I had the other half for geckos. Well, um, she decided to go back to work. Um, all of the kids that she was babysitting kind of grew up and, and she didn't want to take in, you know, younger kids. So I kind of um, annexed her half of the basement. So it was all mine, the whole basement. Perfect. <laughs> the dream come true. <laughs> it came true. So, you know, my, my collection expanded by two and uh, now I'm keeping all, all, I think I'm keeping over 60 or 70 different species of geckos, but I'm still keeping a lot of crusted geckos because that's kind of where, you know, I want to see my my hobby move forward and try to develop different morphs and things like that. So I'm probably keeping about 60 different groups of crusted geckos. I've gone down a little bit with leopard geckos. At one point we, we were breeding probably four or 500 babies a year, but that's way down. Um, but, but I'm really into the weird geckos that nobody knows the names of and, and probably nobody cares except for me of, of what these things look like. So I'll that's tell you what, right now. I'll tell you what, I think I think it's slowly starting to change. I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of these species are smaller, a little bit smaller than crested geckos and leopard geckos as well, correct? Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I think the hobby is starting to shift towards People are living in, in apartments. So they're even in the fish hobby, people are looking for the five gallons, the 10 gallons, the nanotanks. And I think at some point um, it's going to, it's going to hit the reptile world too, where people are going to want that um, maximum in 18, 18, 18 with the small gecko rather than like needing a big tank for a bearded dragon or some other species. So um, I think you made the right move by moving into micros and some of the, the cooler species that you're working with earlier. I think you're, you're maybe ahead of the curve. <laughs> It, it, it keeps my passion going. And I've always sure. said, you know, um, we talked about this earlier, seeing babies is the driving force behind anything that I do. For sure. The first baby of a species that I just got, the, you know, breeding it for the first time, reassuring me that I'm keeping them the right way. Exactly. Or if it's crusted geckos. The first time I go downstairs and a crusted gecko is hatched out and I'm not jumping for joy uh, in excitement, I'm, I'm going to call it quits and it's just done. To, to keeping baseball cards again, I think. You know what? I, I was I, the same thing, and I've been keeping crested geckos for a couple of years now. And I was starting to tell people, 
maybe it's time for me to experiment. I'm getting a little bored of the crested geckos. And then last week, a crested gecko baby hatched, and I, I probably got on top. Of, like, I, you're, you're right. Once I'm not um, that excited, and it's not even just the babies. It's seeing the female grab it, and then seeing her dig, and then finding the eggs. Every little step along the way is is beyond exciting. So um, I completely agree with you. Uh, yeah. That whole process. I, I know what you mean. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So should we start digging into some of these these cool species then? Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Um, so so one of the ones that I see you post posted most often, and by the way, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this in the intro, I literally had to go through his Instagram and pull out names, and I was like <laughs> struggling, Googling them and trying. I've never heard of any of these species before. So um, I, maybe maybe how did you start discovering um, discovering some of the other ones? How did you move from crested geckos to, to the rarer ones, first, first of all? Sure, absolutely. And with the names, don't worry about it. I think that there's a lot of people that, you know, are very uptight about the names. My feeling is if you can get it close, then, and I know what you're talking about and we're communicating, that's all exactly. that matters. That's exactly. all that matters. And, if, you know, Periodora picta is one of my favorite geckos. If if we can call it picta or pictus or, you know, the scientific name is Periodora picta, but if we can call it Pictus or Madagascar ground gecko, and we're talking the same language back and forth and sharing, that's all that, in my mind, that's all that matters. As long as we know we're talking about the same animal. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, again, I, I go back to the leopards and crusteds and that, lots and lots and lots of fun. But I think it was a show that I went to, again, probably about 15 years ago, and somebody had a um, gecko called Lygodactylus Williamsi. It's an electric blue, and they're just as blue as anything that you can see. It's just as blue as the Highlighter color. blue. Highlighter blue, absolutely. And, yes. And it's, a, it's an animal that you can walk through a show, a reptile show, and go from table to table. And that's a, a gecko. If you're keeping geckos, that's a gecko that will make you stop and really appreciate the colors of, of these animals. So I saw these. So I had to do all kinds of research. And I brought them in and started breeding them and just had a bunch of fun with it. And from there, you know, it, it's kind of like collecting, you know, again, baseball cards. But yeah. Pokemon even, yeah. Like Pokemon, like collecting yeah. gillyfish. Yeah. Uh, you start with one and you want to collect two or three or, or 10 or 20. So I started keeping the Ligodactylus, which are just, you know, they're only two and a half, three inches long. They're they're more denarial. They're, they're not nocturnal. They're out all the time. They're active. They're running around the tank all the time. Males will come up to each other and do the little head bob and, and you can hear them talking to each other and then they'll just hit each other, not violently, but they'll just tap each other and run around the tank. So the behavior is just amazing with these animals. So, so you can keep groups together? You can keep groups together in a big enough enclosure that they have lots and lots and lots of hiding spots so that they can get away from each other. So a male will be aggressive to another male as long as it can see the other male but the second that that other male goes somewhere else, the first male, the dominant male, you know, has his mind on other things. He's thinking about the girls at that point. Absolutely. So you can do stuff like that as long as you have a big enough enclosure. And it takes a little bit of time to learn, but that's the fun part of it. So I started keeping the Ligodactylus and Gonatoides and Spirodactylus and all the little teeny tiny two and a half to three inch. And I don't want to get into the names, but sorry, I'm just going to stop you really quickly because that, that just made me laugh. Uh, I have three questions written down here. 
have you ever <laughs> i have all the species that i found on your on your instagram but then i have do you have any experience with God, do you have an experience with Spherodactylus and do you have an experience with Stenodactylus? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Okay. so you do then. Okay, perfect. Uh, I do. Okay. Um, the good news with all of those um, micro, I call them micro geckos, yeah. dwarf geckos. And there's a couple of really good sites on the internet that you can go to to look up some of this information. Sure. Um, but the good news is that they're always active. They're always running around. They're just the most beautiful, beautiful animals. Um, they're not common in the hobby. So if you do get into breeding them, you're always going to have somebody looking for these animals. I get requests at least once a month for a, a micro gecko. And I, you know, a lot of people know that I don't keep the micros anymore. And I'll get to that, the reason why in just a second. But there's always demand for the micro geckos. Um, and I keep a few of them, but not as nearly as many as I used to keep. So the good news is that they're small. You can keep, they're like dart frogs. You can keep, you know, a small enclosure. You can keep lots of enclosures in a very small area. Um, they're active. They breed easily, you know, right conditions. And they're just beautiful, beautiful animals. Uh, there's one that has yellow and black barring like a bumblebee that's just now Spiridaculus toriae. Mm -hmm. um, so they're really, really cool. The bad thing is that they're escape artists. So you have to have a really, really tight enclosure. You have to make sure that you don't have any holes. So exoterras wouldn't work. Exoterras won't work because the doors, you know, open and close and there's a little bit of a gap there. So you really have to find a, and if you make your own tanks, you know, what a, what a wonderful thing. Um, but you, your tank has to have, you know, no seams that are open, and then you, you have to have a top that goes onto the tank. So you have to pull the whole top out. Most of them are, you know, a lot of them are, are terrestrial, um, and even the ones that are, are uh, arboreal. As long as you're, you know, going in one end and you're watching them, it's not too too much of an issue. So one issue is that they're escape artists. Another is that they eat all the time so the metabolism is just going nuts so every day every day you can't really miss a day with and these is that because they're so active because they're so active they're just always active which, which is really cool to see them running yeah. around but you always have to have fruit flies you always have to have micro mealworms you have to have food constantly for them and you go two or three four days and you can really see the impact without feeding. And then you can see the impact of these animals. So, Interesting. you know, escape artists, they have to eat all the time. Um, they're, they're hard to find. Um, so there's some, you know, pros, but there's also some pretty heavy cons. Um, and they don't live as long as, you know, we know that crested geckos and leopard geckos live 20 years-ish. These guys will go maybe three, four, five years at the most. So their, their lifespan, because they're small and high metabolism, is a lot shorter. So that that's another con. That's very interesting. Right, they're cool. They are cool animals. They are definitely cool. I've been looking at them recently, and I, I agree. They are very cool animals. What about when it comes to um, eggs? How small are the eggs, and, and do they break easily? And how do you so, handle them? <laughs> so these little teeny tiny two, two and a half inch um, geckos lay eggs that are half the size, half the size of a Tic Tac. Um, yeah, so so it's all little spoons and moving it to, you know, hatching medium and, and wow. special care. And you have to set them up so that when they hatch, you don't have them in deli cups with little teeny tiny holes. 
it, it's a it's just that extra step that you right. have to take to make sure that everything's you know set up the right way which is what but makes it, them a little tougher makes them a little bit tougher makes them a little bit you know it, it, once you have one of them down you, you kind of have all of them down you know you a little bit of uvb lighting a little bit of heat um and it's pretty straightforward but um again you know it, you can pack a lot of them into a very very small area and and keep them again kind of like dark frogs like you're keeping dark frogs right. yeah you can just have them like kind of lined up on a rock and it's with, exactly. with tanks that small how many how many can you fit on a rock like yeah that's true exactly lots of fun but i lots got out of the micro geckos simply because they they take a lot of work as far as feeding i mean again you have to be on them every single day and um the last few years my job became um uh, quite a burden you know on on the family on me on the family to the point where we you know i was working probably about 80 hours a week for two or three years there wow. and my wife had to take care of the animals so i knew that she couldn't be on the animals like like i was yeah so i i um, moved the the animals that i was working with to another person that that could work with them a little bit better and i moved into other animals that that didn't take the the you know, day to day, every single day kind of maintenance. Awesome. And now some of those animals are like the, the one you mentioned, the Parodero Picta. Exactly. One of now, my favorite, one of my no, favorite animals. So I, I've kept probably 150 different species of animals, somewhere or a species of geckos, somewhere around there. And I would have to say Periodora Picta is probably my favorite. Um, a lot of good reasons. It's They're just like leopard geckos. Um, but you can keep them tropical or you can keep them arid. It really doesn't matter. They're in nature in Madagascar, Madagascar ground geckos, oscillated geckos. They go by a hundred different names. Mm -hmm. But in Madagascar, the cool thing is that they uh, live right on the edge of the tropical forest and the, I wouldn't call it desert, but the arid area, the rocky, sandy areas. So. They, they can adjust very well to either a plain tank with sand and some hides, or you can set them up just like a crusted gecko with a nice substrate, bioactive, lots of, you know, cork bark kind of hides. Um, Are they they're terrestrial, but every time I go in to work on that, that part of the room, um, every single one of the period or pick that come right up to the front of the enclosure, if I have cork bark, they're up on top of the cork bark looking Just, to see what I'm doing. Yeah. They're little prairie dogs of the gecko world. They're, That's they're incredible. Big eyes, real, real cute animals, easy to handle, uh, small size. They're only about, you know, three and a half, four inches at the very most. So about half the size of a leopard gecko. Easy to breed, and I'll come back to that in just a second. For easy sure. to breed, just like I said. Um, they they're, they're they eat, they're easy to feed. I've never had any of them show any signs of not wanting to eat. Whereas sometimes you'll see that with leopard geckos and crested geckos will sometimes go off food for a little bit. Mm -hmm. They are always little piggies. Uh, they're always looking for more food. So and what do you feed them? Anything, anything. I, I try to keep my fingers away from their enclosure as much as possible. <laughs> so um, anything as in like, will they take, for example, rapashi grappai or? It has to be a, a feeder insect. So it has to be you know, alive. a lot of crickets and mealworms mm -hmm. and P 
peanut beetles and gosh, oh my, uh, everything that we have, any live food. Uh, I feed them a lot of dubias. Once they get to a, a certain size, we'll start feeding them baby dubias and, uh, you know, small dubias all the way up to adult size. So Very cool. not picky at all. The only bad thing with Periodora picta is that they breed super young. So leopard geckos, you really shouldn't be breeding them until, you know, the females are about 50 grams, which can take up to eight, nine, 10 months. Right. Periodora picta will breed at about four to five months. So wow. before we even can tell the males, they'll start breeding because males obviously know that they're males and yeah. they have one thing on their mind. Yeah. And the females being so small, you know, that's really hard on the female. Oh, so. Yeah. Once I get to a certain point of size or, or age with the period or picked, I start separating out the babies so I don't have any females. I, I try to minimize as much as possible females that are, are that can become gravid. So okay. that's the only negative with this animal. Which means like you kind of have to have more and more enclosures because you can't keep them in, in groups at that age, at a young age. Exactly. exactly. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Um, and we do a lot of reptile shows. I, I'm online selling geckos, and it's so hard to keep Periodora picta available. You know, I hardly ever add a Periodora picta to the store because people are always asking for them. Um, the neat thing about them is that there's tons and tons. It, it's just so early in the development of this animal. If you look at leopard geckos and all the different morphs that you have with leopard geckos and all the different color varieties and traits with crusteds, Periodora picta is right on the cusp of starting to see some of those. Okay. Um, they, they come in two, just like uh, African fat tails, they come in two different varieties from nature, um, striped and reticulated. But I'm developing a, a really, really super wide stripe pure white it looks really cool uh, there's some uh, they're called t plus t minus albinos um there's black eyes there's triple stripes there's some that are really orange there's there's some that are just pure white snow uh looking there's all it, the possibilities are just unlimited with this animal I have think. a feeling I'm going to be looking for one after this episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's very cool. I, I, so are these, are they the same as the Pictus gecko? I, again, same we're thing. using. Yep, same thing. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Periodora picta is the scientific name. Um, if you call them Pictus, everybody knows what you're talking about. If you call them Madagascar ground geckos, everybody knows what you're talking about. Cool. Okay. Very cool. And then, so you said you keep them on sand. When you're trying to keep, oh, so yeah, so do you keep them married? Or do you keep them like crested geckos, actually, first yeah. of all? No, 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 you're right on. I keep them over sand. So I'm set up okay. as a breeder. You can keep them over just like you would keep them as a crusted gecko, keep them in a, you know, 12 by 12 by 18. Um, well, you'd want a bigger enclosure for cresseds, but you can keep them in a smaller enclosure singly like, like that. You can keep them in a bigger enclosure in pairs, but you really have to watch the females and make sure. And once females start breeding, they'll just lay eggs constantly, like like bunny rabbits. So the best thing to do is take out the males, you know, after after a little bit, so that the females get some rusting uh, time in there. But you can keep them over sand. As a breeder, I keep them over. I keep them in a fifteen quart. I keep them on a rack, fifteen quart sand and uh, flower pot saucer hides with little V's cut out, right. and 
some cork bark, water dish, food dish, uh, some plastic plants. And the key with them is that when I go in, because they do need a little bit of humidity or they need to hydrate as well. When I go into water, you know, to add water or change water um, once every two or three days, I'll, I'll add the water, but I'll lift up their hide and I'll add a little bit of water under their hide in the sand to keep mm -hmm. that sand under their hide a little bit moist. And normally when I go in to look for eggs, it's, it's kind of easy. You know, I'll mound up the sand a little bit under their hide and I'll just go in and if, when I'm ready to look for eggs, I'll lift up that hide and run my fingers through the sand, the moistened sand. And I, 99% of the time I find the eggs right in that one spot buried in the sand. They like the, the humidity for the eggs as well. Exactly. If I'm not finding them under the flower pot in the moist area under the flower pot, I know where else to look. I'll, I'll lift up the, uh, the water dish and, and sometimes I'll, I'm a little messy with adding water and I'll spill a little bit and sure enough in the sand by the water dish, there's, there might be some eggs. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. And are the eggs also TikTok size or are they bigger, like kind of a little bit smaller than crusty eggs? They're surprisingly scary big compared to the animals. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> you see these little tiny, you know, again, they're probably two and a half, three inch females and they're laying eggs about this, almost the size of your thumbnail. Um, there, you get a couple of eggs and, a, and you look at the eggs and you look at the female, you look at the eggs, look at the female, <laughs> just shake your head. Like, like where did those fit? <laughs> how did this happen? <laughs> okay. Okay. That's very cool. Very cool. Okay. Uh, before we move on to more pick to questions, yeah. um, you, you, what's your, I guess you're keeping on sand. So you must have a specific brand of sand you like, or an opinion on impact. Like I'm sure you've heard of the very controversial question, um, sand impaction and all of that. So do you want to maybe talk about that a little bit? How, how is there maybe a brand that you use or like an opinion you have on this? Yep. A couple of things. I'm, I'm highly opinionated on this. Um, oh, perfect. Okay. <laughs> with leopard geckos, you should never, ever use sand, uh, you know, but if somebody came to me and said, yeah, I've been using sand for 10 years. My leopard geckos are doing fine. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to raise the flags and, and post on Facebook. Oh my gosh. I of know. Course. Um, it is what it is. If you're successful with something, that means that you're doing everything the right way. Um, and probably when somebody says I keep my leopard geckos over sand, it's probably a, a, a packed down sand. So it's more like uh, deadpan than it really is sand. Um, the, the key with leopard, I'm gonna I'm gonna go off on a tangent for a second. No, here, go ahead. <laughs> the thing with leopard geckos is that you know it's it's not so much the sand. A leopard gecko licks. A leopard gecko licks to take in minerals. That's just what they do. And they're going to work anything that they, they can if they don't have the right minerals in their diet or if you don't have something where they can look to get their their all their minerals, their calcium, and so on and so forth. So all the time, all the time, all the time, keep some kind of a dish in your enclosure with a mix of vitamins and calcium. And what we do with our leopard geckos is at least, you know, once a month, I'll take that dish. And if there's any remaining, I just toss it out and I add new I mix my vitamins and calcium and I'll just add that right in. Then I can throw the mealworms right in that dish and they, they dance around and they get covered with the dust. So, but I know my leopard geckos are licking that, that, you know, vitamin calcium mix to get their, their, their required uh, nutrients. 
Um, I think it's important with Picta, but I don't think it's as important. I don't think that period or a Picta, the Pictus geckos, I don't think that they're licking as much as the leopard geckos. But we've had them over sand for, well, you know, 15 years or so and never, ever, ever, ever had a problem. Uh, the only problems that I've had with period or Picta, if I ever lose one, it's because I've not moved the male out from the female's enclosure and the male gets a little bit aggressive. So, you know, my practice now is, <clears throat> excuse me, just like the leopard geckos, I'll introduce, I'll take them out, I'll introduce, you know, a day in, two days out, a day in, two days out, a day in, and then that's it for the breeding season. If they're not, if I'm not seeing eggs, you know, after a month, I might start that whole process up again. But I try to keep them as much as possible away from each other. But in a period or picked enclosure, I've got them over sand, and I just never, ever, ever have an issue with, with males or females getting impacted. Okay, that's very interesting. And is there a specific brand of sand that you use? Yeah, um, yep, I'm sorry, you asked that. Um, oh, no, no problem, yeah. Uh, sand. Um, although I've uh, I've recently purchased the um, um, Zoomed sand as well, and I'm trying that out from a recommendation from a, a close friend, a big, a, a big breeder. So I think it's, you know, I think the finer sand is better. Um, I tried play sand for a while and that just kind of it clumped up a little bit too much, too many big particles in it. I, you know, if you're going to spend your money somewhere, buy, buy some halfway decent sand and get some Repta sand or something like that. Uh, Repta sand doesn't have the dust in it, so you can put it right in the enclosure. You don't have to wash it off. So, you know, I'm lazy. Okay. I don't like to wash sand, so I throw it right in there, and it's virtually dust-free. No, that makes sense. And it's not washing the sand that's the problem. It's waiting for it to dry. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. No, that's awesome. I, I, I partially asked that question because I heard them ask you it on the – on the other podcast and I, I loved your answer and I just wanted to hear you say it again and like have everybody here, 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 hear you say it. Um, I think that's very interesting, uh, like point of view on it. I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that, well, they're licking because they're looking for minerals. So if you provide the minerals, then why would they be licking the sand or anything else? And I recently got into uh, Stenodactylus. Um, Ooh, nice. Yeah. They're, they're a cool species, but they're sand dune species. So um, sand is required, but I've never worked with, uh, species like this before so that's why i asked about the brand because i was I'm curious to see what are the better brands to use because they do require um they burrow and they dig their eggs and sound as well so um i think you know I one, one of the things, yeah exactly um and i hope i gave the same answer tonight that i did I, you I did it was yeah it was, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah my memory fades and i know that's perfect i i yeah i'm about I, I think it's a very good point that you make. Uh, it's, it's exactly like it's it's exactly what's missing from the conversation every time it's made. Like, but why are they getting impacted, right? And yeah. and and to be fair, I like I, I've never kept leopard geckos, so I, I don't want to talk about leopard geckos. But um, I, I've kept uh, newts and and axolotls and those kind of species before, and and it's also a common debate on that side. And I've never actually seen it personally. Um, so. I think as a yeah. learning experience, you should go on Facebook in one of the leopard gecko groups and say, I keep my leopard gecko over sand. Um, and I think that that's a really, really good idea. That's what I think you should do after this show. Go on and, and post that and see, see what kind of a response you get. Have you heard of the term canceled? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what will happen to me. <laughs> I'm going to block. Um, yeah. it, it's unfortunate, I think, that on social media, a lot of people have 
not everybody. I'm not saying everybody. Of course, a lot of people have a very closed mind, a little bit of experience, and they 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 get this um, defined impression of how things should be. And you know, I, I talked to somebody that's been in this hobby for 30 years. I've been in it for 20 years, and I just made this comment on somebody else's show uh, that I was watching as well. We're all learning, and he said the same exact thing. The the day that I stopped learning. Uh, I should just hang them up because we're all learning something new every single day. So everybody, whether you're, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel very strongly that the sand isn't the biggest problem with leopard geckos. Keeping them over sand isn't, you know, a sin. It, it's, it shouldn't be done. You're risking and I wouldn't. And, but if somebody is and it's working for them, I'm not going to be the person that says, well, don't keep them over sand. I'm a big believer that if something's working for you, you should keep doing it and and show me what you're doing so I can learn either what I'm not doing right or maybe what you're doing correctly so better. that I can do it better myself. So yeah. that's if it's my not broken. Don't fix it. Like, no, I, I agree. So. Yeah, I think so. I absolutely agree with you. Okay. Now that we went off on that tangent, um, <laughs> back to the Peridora Picta. Sure. Uh, are they um, more of, uh, leopard gecko temperatures or are they more room temperature like crested geckos do you require heat pads and all that or great uh, great question wonderful question they are just like leopard geckos so we'll keep the back of the enclosure i actually have two different racks that i keep them in one i have a a heat cable on and okay. it's you know right directly on the back of the enclosure so probably only 20 percent of the enclosure is warm but i keep that you know, turned up pretty high uh, because it's not like a, a heat mat. Um, but what I suggest to people is give them a temperature, you know, of a, an area of about 20 to 30 percent and give them a temperature of about 90 degrees, 92, 93, 89, 88. Doesn't really matter too much as long as they have an area that they can self-regulate their temperature and go to and then come out of when they need to. That's what's important. And I think that a lot of people, I've been asked this so many times, do you keep your hide on the warm side or the cool side? It doesn't matter. It matters, but if you're keeping one hide, then you're doing something wrong. They don't have one hide in nature. They don't have one spot in the warm side or the cool side to go to. They have spots wherever they want that they can go to and hide. Agreed. Put a hide on the warm side, put a hide on the cold side, let them choose. And if they're constantly choosing the cool side, maybe put a, more decorations on the cool side. So I'll find them sometimes on the warm side and I'll find them sometimes on the cool side. I, do I try to figure out why they're on one side or the other? I don't. I just give them more choices so they can regulate however they want to. Absolutely. That's that's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Uh, so I think I think that pretty much covers my questions on Peridora Picta. Okay. Um, maybe we can jump to uh, so Peridora Bastardi, or Bastardi, Bastardi. Yeah, very very good job. Um, I always get the you know the question: Are they really called Bastardi? Uh, <laughs> so that was the first question I had written. <laughs> yeah. So you know these Latin names sometimes come right from the person that's discovering the animal, right. uh, or they have, you know, different meanings. So Periodora bastardi are just like Periodora picta. I shouldn't say it like that. Periodora bastardi are very similar to the picta that we just talked about. 
but they're more terrestrial. They're a smaller gecko. Um, they're, they're probably an inch smaller than the period or a picta. They're more terrestrial. They like the leaf litter. They like to be down on the bottom of, you know, if you're looking, if you have an enclosure with period or bacteri, they're probably 99% of the time buried under something right on the, the substrate. Cool. I give a lot of how I do it, and I'm breeding a lot of period or bastardite. Um, it's a, an animal that's in high demand for us at Supreme Gecko uh, quite a bit. But I have a lot of cork bark that just has a little bit of a concaved look to them, and it almost sits on the substrate, but it doesn't quite sit on the substrate flat. It's a little bit elevated off the substrate, yeah. and they'll go in there and hide you know, all the time in there. Um, I give them the flower pots. They like the flower pots, fake plants, and so on and so forth. But they absolutely have to have some kind of a um, moisture substrate, some kind of a substrate that will hold moisture. So we do the uh, Zilla Jungle Mix, and I, I just love that product. It's a good blend. Sometimes I'll add some sand to it, but most of the time I just throw it in the tank, and, and that does really well. Um Again, uh, water dish, food dish, the same kind of hides, uh, fake plants, and they do really, really well. The cool thing about Periodora bastardi is that the adults are these little gray, kind of lumpy things. They don't have much color. Their babies hatch out, and their babies have this beautiful white and dark markings on the body, you know, banding on the body, and, yeah. and beautiful contrast. The white is white. And their tails are as yellow as a banana. Um, they're so good. So, so you'll hatch one of these out the first time, and you're thinking, "Oh, it's going to be a great little gray baby." And uh, and you hatch it out, and you go, "Oh my gosh!" And look at that tail, and how cute the body is. So, and all the colors. Yeah, the colors are the baby's colors will just knock your socks off. Okay. And you said they're they're in higher demand than the picta. Why? Or, or sorry, you said they're in high demand. Are they in higher demand than the picta? And why would that be? Yep, Periodora picta breed, like I said, like bunnies. So we're right. we're producing a lot of Periodora picta every year. Um, but you can still import quite a number of Periodora picta as well. So you can go on a you know to a reptile show and see Periodora picta on somebody's table. It's probably going to be wild caught, which, you know, has its problems. And it's probably going to be $25 for a period or a pickup. Bastard eye aren't imported as frequently. They don't breed like bunny rabbits, like the period or a pickup. So um, while we're breeding quite a number, I have a kind of a bigger group. I think I have two males in a 15 gallon. I have two males and probably about six females in there. Wow. Um, and I'm in getting a 15 gallon. In a 15 gallon, yeah. How, I, I, how small are they? They're they're about, I would say, half to an inch less than uh, period or picta. So they're only about two and a half inches. Half inches. Two and ah. half inches maybe three with their tails. Like you know, morning geckos, kind of a little bit bigger than morning right, geckos. A little bit bigger than morning. Yeah, a little. That's a good analogy. A little bit bigger than morning geckos. Interesting. Probably, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they're still small. They're in demand because, not, number one, not a lot of people are breeding them. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, they don't import as, as frequently as some of the other animals. Um, and and they're in high demand, I think, because you take a good picture of a period or a bastard eye baby, and it kind of, for me, it just curls itself. Yeah, that, may, that makes sense. I mean, I haven't seen it, but just hearing the yellow tail and the 
the yeah no that's that sounds incredible <laughs> the banding and everything cool very cool uh awesome and then other than that pretty much the same do they come from the same area are they also madagascar, uh, madagascar species madagascar all the period or i believe are from madagascar i'm trying to think if there are any that aren't um but they're found more you know if, if we drew that line you know where period or picta is and we have the arid on one side and the tropical on the other you get past the Periodora picta and you start seeing some of the Periodora bastardi. Wow. The cool thing about this genus called Periodora is that they have, oh, I should know this, 24 or 25 different species, which I think there's only like 11 or 12 really in the hobby. Okay. Um, one of them is Periodora misobi, which is a black animal, black, jet black, with mm -hmm. white spangles with the biggest black eyes very nocturnal and they're big they're they're for a periodora they're big they're probably about five five and a half inches and, and they're in the hobby they're kind of in the hobby they're they're in europe they're being bred more in europe than they are here. It's always europe <laughs> it's always europe <laughs> you know why that is in europe they take one tank at a time. Like I just mentioned that I like lots of tanks and lots of, and, and you know, but I can't focus on every single one and dedicate a hundred percent of my time on, on, you know, a hundred tanks in Europe. They have one animal, they have one tank and one pair of these animals. And they, that's all that they focus on. So they make that one setup as perfect as they possibly can. They study that one animal. Mm -hmm. So, it's, I've traveled to Europe a, a few times and had the opportunity to talk to some people there. And and they are, you know, laser focused on keeping their animals the best that they can. And, you know, fish. Um, yeah, yeah. Germany, you know, the same way. They, they're absolutely, you know, laser focused on what they're doing over there. And, yeah. and we're collectors over here. And I think that, and I hate to say it like this, but I, I really think that the European um, community is more in tune with understanding the behaviors and the requirements and the behaviors of the animals. Okay, that's very interesting. And do you think that maybe kind of has something to do with um, some of the information being available in other languages and not in English? I think that that could be. I think it's just a different mindset. I think that if you um, went to Germany and found somebody that and talked to some people in Germany and, and one person had that one setup and they're doing really well with one animal, and not to say that everybody just has one and they don't have two or three or four, um, but you won't see the massive, you know, breeding setups like we do here with the leopard gecko breed, some of the leopard geckos, some of the rest of the gecko right. breeds and so on. Um, I think it's a little bit language. I think it's also, you know, that, that sense of community where if you did find somebody in Germany that had the leopard gecko breeding kind of setup like that, they might not be looked on the same way as somebody dedicated to keeping the one or two or three animals if right. that like absolutely like the the hobby standard over there is to right no absolutely that makes Very a lot of sense okay awesome yeah okay so wally i i usually like to keep the episodes around 45 minutes and we're already at 47 but i still have a bunch of episodes for you so i have two questions for you absolutely a, would you would you be interested in coming on for a part two I'd love that. This is fun. Absolutely. Awesome. I would absolutely love to have you on for part two. And then question number two, um, just because I have to ask you about this one more species before I let you go. <laughs> and I'm actually going to have to pull up my phone for it as well because sure. I have all the species named written, but I can't remember which is which. And there's one that just 
blew my mind when I saw it. <laughs> um, and it was pretty recently too. Oh, you so while you're looking that up, I'm going to say I'll come on for episode two. If you promise that episode six or episode seven, where we talk to each other, if we can focus on killifish for episode six or seven. Absolutely. That sounds great. That sounds great. I, I Are you still keeping any fish at the moment? I see an aquarium behind you. Is it okay for me to move my, my uh, camera? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Sorry if you're watching on, on video. And I'm up, I hope that I don't turn off my camera here. But let's see if I can do this. Oh, you're still keeping a lot of fish. Well, not a ton. That's more than, I, I that's more than I'm keeping. <laughs> I only have, um, and I know your time is limited here, but I only have no. about, uh, I only have about 20 tanks, and they're all tens or fives. Um, and I have the one behind me, which I have that 30 right behind me that is empty with just some grow up fish. But you know, I'm keeping killifish and epistogrammas and shell dwellers. Uh, uh, wild live bears and wild bettas. Those are the things that I really, really love. So, okay. I'm, I'm with you. I have, I'm keeping killifish, the epistogrammas as well. Uh, but this stops there. I'm uh, the, the only other thing I'm currently. Oh, uh, the two other things I'm keeping are peacock gudgeons and the the rice fish, the medaka rice fish. I think they're called in, the in in Japanese. They're so they're very close to me. So we're like brothers here because I'm keeping the peacock gungeons as well. Are you okay? Wow. Wow. Seriously. So so we're definitely gonna have to do a fish episode then. We have to absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um and I, I completely forgot where I was going with what I was <laughs> I, I, I found the picture and then I closed it, but I, I, I at least I remember which one it was. Okay. Um, it is the cry crytodactylus eloc baby. Uh, I, can, I can even just yeah so it's beautiful <clears throat> i i tell you you know having babies like that i could do a and i do do a lot of wrong things downstairs with the hundreds of enclosures occasionally i'll do something really wrong and it'll tear into me for days it'll be like well, i can't do that i can't be that dumb to do something like that um and I'm not going to get into details on this show. That'll be show three that we'll talk about all of my mistakes. But <laughs> tell you what, you know, making a lot of mistakes or making a mistake that that really is bad, um, you hatch out something like you know, Cerdactylus elac, and it makes up for a lot of bad things that happen because that is a beautiful, beautiful animal. So I had that animal about five or six years ago, and I got lots of babies. And again, business, it took me a different direction and I, I had to give away a lot of animals. Uh, this last weekend, no, two I'm sorry, two weekends ago, um, I was able to get Cerdodactylus uh, Eloc back in our facility. Uh, I got a pair of them. So uh, the, the parents look, they're just little brown, dumpy, poopy looking geckos. They don't have much... They have tons and tons and tons of attitude. Um, females are just nasty as all anything, but they're babies when their babies hatch and the curly tail and the white and black, uh, it makes it all worthwhile. Beautiful animal. That and that's so so that incredibleness is just as a baby. Oh yes, absolutely. absolutely. That's a little disappointing, I gotta say, but it is I, I've never seen it almost looks like a dinosaur in a 
in a reptile. Like I, I don't know how to describe it. The grays and the black banding on it. It's I I I showed the picture, but I, I'll post another one in the show notes somewhere for everyone to go check and look at it again. It's I I it's beautiful. So hopefully at the at this time next year, I should start having some of my first babies. And when they hatch out, I'll uh, I'll have you here. We'll fly you in, and you can take a look at these babies live. And and you'll. I would love to do that. <laughs> just like I do. <laughs> I would love. Yeah, I'll come jump around. We'll jump around together. There you go. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, Wally, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, I'll shoot you a message, and we'll we'll plan a time for 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 part two because I definitely gotta. There's loads more questions here. Like we didn't even we didn't even touch the surface. Uh, but can you let everyone know where to find you? Um, I know you're on YouTube, Instagram, all those places. Uh, YouTube, Instagram, Supreme Gecko. Go to my YouTube channel. I post uh, videos on geckos, and I'm actually really heavily into isopods, which sounds kind of nutty and kooky, but love the isopods. Go onto YouTube, and especially in the next month or so. Ah, isopods. In the next month or so, I'm going to throw out a real quick plug. I hope you don't mind. I'll, I'll take just like one more No, minute. absolutely. No, yeah, do it. Yeah. We've been doing something called the 12 Supreme Days of Christmas, and it's a big giveaway to other hobbyists. And the first year that we did this about 10 or 11 years ago, it was all me, and I gave away like $200 worth of prizes. Wow. So this last year, we gave away over $6,500 in reptile gifts. Wow from I think it was 60 different people donating. Um, so it's a fun event, it's all fun. And it, it starts at the end of, uh, it actually starts the day after Thanksgiving and runs all the way to the day before Christmas. Um, and every other day, you know, we'll do an announcement and we'll do a giveaway and then have a day of waiting so people can enter or do, you know, post a picture or say, say, Wally's a jerk or something on the YouTube videos or something like that. And we ask for um, participation. And then, you know, the next day we draw names and people win. So it's a ton of fun. Uh, it's a great community builder. I see so many names, you know, joining together and, and long-term relationships out of, off of something like this. So um, make sure that you join, you know, the Supreme Gecko 12 Supreme Days of Christmas event coming up. I absolutely love that. I love the sound of that. Is that on your YouTube? It is on my YouTube. It's on Facebook. Look up 12SDOC as a Facebook page, and you'll see all kinds of information. We're just, awesome. just now getting starting to get all the donations coming in. So Perfect. So I'm going to make you guys' life easier. You don't even have to look on Facebook. It'll be in the show notes. Uh, go look for it there. Click there. Once, the, once this does start... Um, you can look at my Instagram as well. I'll be sure to be sharing all of this stuff as well. Um, I love the idea. That's absolutely incredible. Thank uh, you. Once again, thank you very much, Wally, for coming on. Uh, we will be talking very soon. My very pleasure. Very soon. Thanks, Fadi. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, guys. That was episode nine of Daffy's Roundtable. I want to say thank you one more time for to, to Wally. That was an incredible episode. I learned so much. And uh, like I said, I, I have so many more questions for him. So we'll definitely have him on again. Uh, go give him a follow, Supreme Gecko. Follow him on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, all those places, and uh, keep an eye out for those twelve days of uh, the twelve days of. I'm, I'm saying the name wrong, but you'll have it in the in the show notes. Twelve days of Gecko Christmas, I think, or, or Supreme Gecko Christmas. Um, follow me on everything. I'm Daffy's Reptiles on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and then Daffy's Roundtable for the podcast. See you guys on the next one. Thank you.